This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. Welcome to the audio guide to Babylon 5, episode 80, Conflicts of Interest. Thank you once again for joining us for another uber generically titled episode. Is it just me or when it's my turn to moderate, are the titles like extra generic? Or am I imagining that? Lines of communication last time was pretty darn generic and that was mine. All right. Fair enough. I guess it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing the ones that I have to type out because, yeah, Stephen, wow, I, I have <laughs> rarely seen him more just contemptuously dismissive. <laughs> it's really, really <laughs> uh, generic catchphrase is, is what he, what he, well, he said. Next, there. next week I get rumors, bargains and lies. So that's a yeah, also touch very more generic. specific, but mm-hmm. still very scattershot. Yep. At least it sounds kind of cool. Conflicts of interest, just meh. Yeah. But rumors, bargains, and lies, you know, there's a little bit of, there's some spice to that. That's, that's... <laughs> well, it's sort of a stealth theory we talked about before, you know. He, we, we get a, a title that lulls us into a false sense of security. <laughs> Very true. For a truly epic episode hidden within. Am I right? Am I right? I don't think I'm right. Mm. It's a good one, but it's not epic. Yeah, I I certainly wouldn't use the word epic, but fine, solid. Well, why don't we just, why don't we get into it? We can talk about that. So if you are diving back in and need to be quickly, quickly caught up, what you need to know is that Space Station Babylon 5 is still cut off from Earth, but have gotten the Mars resistance on their side. Commander Ivanova has been tasked with getting the truth out there. Captain Sheridan and former security chief Michael Garibaldi have been on the outs almost since Sheridan returned from the dead and the now-destroyed planet of the shadows. And the Narn and the Centauri have finally ended over 100 years of conflict, but only after the Narn were worse than decimated and the Centauri were nearly destroyed by the shadows. And that brings us to the generically titled Conflicts of Interest, in which Garibaldi is made to turn in his badge and guns, which makes him bitter enough to agree to smuggle someone past his own past security. Who, you might ask? It is none other than, dun-dun-dun, his ex, Lise, who is now married to serious money and trying to save the telepaths from a deadly mutation. This leads to a gunfight and a narrow escape. Londo and Jakar agree on something, but do they agree to have their borders patrolled by white stars? Well, we don't know. And Ivanova meets Zathras's brother, Zathras, and she becomes the voice of the resistance. And that is conflicts of interest. The truth so... is back in business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it totally is. Yep. And we have ourselves a newsreader once again. Is it just me, or are we all just sort of not entirely enthusiastic about this episode? It was very focused on on the Garibaldi thing, and there was, you know, some good stuff in there to be found in there, but this feels like a drive-by into focusing on one character, and we've had some of that going on in the last few episodes, but the stakes have been a have felt a lot higher in, you know, Delenn discovering what's going on with Mimbar. Um, that sort of thing. So this feels smaller in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It is. I mean, it's sort of a an 
intimate story in that the the main bulk of it is really made up with made up of the the Garibaldi plotline that mm-hmm. is that seems to be the most of it and yeah, I mean, in the past, we've had these really big stakes, whether it was, you know, the Shadow War, or even after that, we've got the whole, you know, Earth is, is cutting off the station, and, you know, Delenn is being held at gunpoint, and yeah, things that have felt bigger than this. And I mean, obviously, Garibaldi possibly dying in a gunfight, yes, that's 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 pretty high stakes, too. But his his anger at, at Captain Sheridan, and Sheridan's anger at him, all that kind of stuff, and Garibaldi figuring out what he's going to do with his life, and, you know trying to get around security. Actually, Stephen really thought that this felt like a, a private detective kind of cop drama show. Mm-hmm. When it ended, mm-hmm. he, yeah. like, just jumping to the Stephen check-in, he goes, okay, so are we going to get a spin-off now where Mr. Garibaldi is a private detective and solves <laughs> crimes on Mars? Because it just, it really felt like this was a pilot for the Garibaldi spin-off, which Stephen decided would be called Garibaldi, all in capitals. Um, because it really just, it felt like a cop show. It like, needs an exclamation and- point on the end. I agree. Garibaldi. I agree. Ding. Yep. And Garibaldi. Bang. Zing. But yeah, he, he's right. I mean, it, it feels, it does feel very different from uh, the majority of uh, what JMS has written. Uh, and like you said, the, the, the sort of uh, cop PI sort of thing, you know, finding his client, dealing with his client, uh, having everything go to blazes. Uh, I don't know. Part of what sort of... Part of what sort of irked me, um, and some a couple things did irk me about this episode, uh, one of them being it felt like JMS was kind of lampshading uh, character development and character conflict a little bit too blatantly. Um, the fact that, you know, Garibaldi says flat out, if you'd asked me yesterday to do this, to, to undercut my own security people, I would have I would have said, hell no, jump in a lake. And then, you know, today... Yeah, I'll do it. The fact that timing can be so pivotal in what two people who are at odds with one another decide to do. J- I felt JMS's writerly hand was showing a bit too much in places and it was bothering me. See, I really liked that uh, myself, uh, just because it gave it gave Garibaldi some motivation to, to do the thing. Delenn's gone off to Minbar, and... Sheridan's apparently now starting to think about some of the stuff that he needs to do. Um, And maybe that's not the most artful of transitions or motivations for Sheridan to make his decision. But, you know, it's it's believable that Zack would let Garibaldi slide on his stuff because Zack has faith in Garibaldi. And it's believable that Sheridan would say, no, you got to take care of this and that they would butt heads that way. Yeah, I can totally believe that uh, that would piss Garibaldi enough to leave him to make a uh, very, very, um, well, it's not a very constructive decision. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with I agree with both of you in that I, I like the timing of it. I, I like that that he makes that decision. But I think I'm a little bit with Shannon that that having him vocalize that right. to it- Wade was that was the thing that was maybe a step too far. Yeah, it's it's not that I don't buy the motivation. I just didn't need it laid out for me. 
Yep. Like if he if he would have just sort of, you know, taken the moment because actually I, I thought his acting was very good and the, the, the sort of the contortions that his face went through that you could tell he was thinking about it before he even said the words. If you had asked me a week ago, I knew that that's what he was thinking about. Like, oh, this crap just happened to me today. I'm pissed. So I'm going to say yes. I wish we, we would have just gotten, you know, a couple of beats of him thinking about it, coming to the realization and saying, sure, I'll do it. I think that would have been more elegant. Talking about Garibaldi, I really liked and disliked uh, that opening scene where we see Mm -hmm. that Garibaldi is still Garibaldi because I just had so many mixed feelings with that. The P.I. with a heart of gold, the hard bitten guy who, mm, well, you know, is it about the performance? Is it about the acting or is it about the script? I kind of like the, the notion of him tracking down rescuing the rescuing the family member and cutting the guy a deal and you know that was that was all well and good but it was kind of uh very much pre-credits let me let me give you the exposition to explain this scene that's about to happen kind of thing i'm kind of of two minds of it as well uh what i loved about it was it felt like going back to the Garibaldi of season one and season two, where, you know, yes, he was by the book, but he could show his heart at times and, you know, show uh, compassion and kindness at times. And plus his patter, you know, some of the some of the lines in the script uh, where he's, you know, talking about trying to settle this with his bookkeeper, who's himself. Some of that <laughs> kind of lines. We haven't heard Garibaldi talk like that in a long time, and I missed it. But what bothered me was the gentleman playing the father was a bit broad and it was very clunky to have, you know, the, the line to explain why the daughter wasn't going to say a single word so they didn't have to pay <laughs> yes. the actress more money. Um, that That's always felt clunky to me. Um, but Morph gas. Stay away yes. from that morph gas. Yeah. I kind of liked the idea of, of, of it sort of calling us back to um, the Garibaldi before whatever happened to him uh, with the shadows. I, I, I liked uh, sort of hearkening back that. Uh, before we get into this point where he's got to make a decision and he winds up fully dividing himself from Babylon 5, it seems. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I really did like that scene. I think that really the thing that I, I don't like about it is simply just an emotional thing that I, I, I feel like I'm being pulled in two directions, which is exactly what the show wants me to, to feel that, yes, he's still he's still this good guy at heart, but he's making these these really uh, bad as far as you know my heart tells me these bad decisions when when it comes down to Sheridan and just and and I know that that is that is the way that I'm supposed to sort of be tossed back and forth emotionally by the show and I am falling for it once again hook line and sinker because because that is just the way that I watch tv I watch it with my heart so yeah speaking of heart uh Garibaldi's uh his his old love is back and we got another couple of flashback scenes to remind us about her existence how'd you guys think that that whole sort of aspect of the storyline played out that's kind of neat um you know first of all it's a callback to three years ago on the series and uh back when jerry doyle was sporting a lot more hair um (laughs) so it was good to have those black and white those patented black and white flashbacks for b5 Mm -hmm. uh hey we did this in an episode before it's it's interesting it's 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 perhaps convenient that the person that he has to escort turns out to be his ex from mars uh it's a 
pretty big universe out there. But it gives us some really, really meaty uh, relationship acting for Jerry Doyle. And uh, she holds her end of the bargain pretty well, too. She is not a strong, leading woman with agency type of person like uh, Susan Ivanova or anything like that. But for the kind of character that she is, uh, she does a good job with it. Uh, She has sort of the right mixture of compassion and uh, wariness of Garibaldi. There is a really great moment just before Wade comes in the door when um, they're arguing in the quarter in Garibaldi's quarters and he tells her that he's not a drunk anymore and her expression she is genuinely glad for him and he sort of throws that back in her face. It's it's good soap opera acting I think. I think she's actually better now than she was in her first her first performance. Actually, that flashback was a little bit painful to watch because I just I didn't really buy her her pathos at that time, and I felt like this this outing was was much better um, from the acting front for her. What about mm-hmm. you, Jen? And what did you think? Generally, I liked their interactions uh, this go around. Like Chip said, they, they they both seem to, you know, whether it's because this is the second time the actors have uh, worked together in these characters or, or what, um, but there was a little more, or, you know, maybe it was, you know, director David Eagle uh, being different, but, you know, something, something up their game a bit from the first time around, and what they were presenting now did feel more believable. Mm-hmm. Garibaldi had more to do than just sort of stand there and go, wait, I'm um, I'm unstuck in time here. Uh, what am I doing back here? Um, you know, he was he, he was upset and hurt and all this other good stuff. And that gave him something to, to work with. And that probably gave Denise Gentile, I believe is her name, um, something to work off of in return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Acting against yes, her name mm-hmm. is correct. Yeah, acting against a blank wall or a character who, you know, is supposed to be emoting like a blank wall like he is in that scene. Yeah, couldn't have been couldn't have been easy for her the first time. And I do think that um, that it's interesting that that now, yes, she's all of a sudden she's married to somebody else. And and I don't like I have no knowledge of whether or not that was a retcon or something that was planned uh, ahead. But I thought it was a nice opportunity to give Garibaldi something to be upset about and to, to kind of be a catalyst for that particular soap opera you seen because because, yeah, I, I remember being very surprised that she comes back and wait, she's what's that last name? What is, that's not the one that, what? She's married to somebody else. What has happened? So I was, I was as stymied as Garibaldi was. So that worked for me. Yeah. I think it, for whatever reason, it was something of a retcon. Um, mm-hmm. It did not feel sure. like that. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. All she did was, you know, we're married. I'm expecting my first child. His name is Franz. Se- what kind yeah. Of and everything seems Franz? nice. And all of a sudden here she is, you know, the, the wife of uh, Mars's, uh, Mars's biggest billionaire. But, um, I think JMS took advantage of the retcon to get, you know, yet another little layer of just how bad things are between Mars and Earth with her, you know, going into detail Mm -hmm. to say, you know, the the judges are all appointed by Earth. Of course, they awarded custody of our daughter to the person from Earth and not from Mars. That I thought, you know, was JMS making lemonade out of lemons. If he had to try and squeeze something in, uh, he did a good job. For sure. And and we certainly still have Garibaldi being being very anti-Sheridan um, all the way through 
And and Sheridan is is not very happy with Garibaldi either. We've we've definitely got him, you know, to, ha- making no bones about it when he's telling Zach to no. go and, and pick up his his guns and stuff. Yeah, I don't uh, like did the that. Did that play keeping. okay for you? Well, you know, we are given the hint that Sheridan knows something about these guys, or at least that. He says, I don't like the company he's been keeping. And we haven't seen anything in previous episodes. So we have to assume that Sheridan's been keeping tabs on his former security chief. The guys that surround Wade, who is is given a name in this episode, mm-hmm. um, who've been um, contacting Garibaldi and wanting to work with him, you know, they come straight out of B5 Thug Central Casting. So, you know. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I, I can imagine that uh, Sheridan would be a little uh, mm-hmm. wary of them. But the conflict between Zack and Garibaldi, that is, that's more fascinating to me in this episode. Because mm-hmm. poor, poor old Zack, you know, he wants to believe the best. He wa- he, 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 he's just trying, you know, he's just trying because he's Zack. And <laughs> he's got the complete faith in Garibaldi up until the point that he realizes that Garibaldi has been um, uh, using his backup ID to get around the station. And that's that's just about it for Zach. Still wants to like the guy, but he's he's pissed mm-hmm. off, too. Well, I think he feels I think he feels betrayed sort of in the mm-hmm. same way that that Garibaldi feels betrayed by Zach. Like, I can't yeah. believe you're doing this to me, Zach. Why didn't you send somebody else? Although, honestly, I think sending somebody else would have been much worse <laughs> of, a, of sort of a betrayal. Like, you can't even face me. I would uh, think so, then, too. But that's just mm-hmm. not how Garibaldi's wired these days. That's true. That is true. Everybody's out to get him, aren't they? Um, but then, on the other hand, then Zach just feels like Garibaldi lied to him, which you know it was it was an omission, not so much a lie, but but yeah, that he would literally go behind Zach's back to to circumvent that. I I think they both are they both are a little bit put out, and I can't blame either one of them for that. It's it's sad. No. Poor, poor Zach. I mean, early on in the episode, I was kind of thinking, like, Zach is to Garibaldi as Veer is to Londo. Like, you know, he just loves him mm-hmm. so much and he just wants him, you know, to, he sees the person that he thinks he is. Uh, but then unlike unlike Veer, who is just seemingly endlessly devoted to Londo, we have Zach just <laughs> saying, screw you, Garibaldi, and turning off his access at a, yeah. at a particularly bad time. But did anybody else feel a little twinge of this This isn't right when uh, Zach walks into the station house and sits at Garibaldi's desk? <laughs> yeah. No, the only thing that annoyed me was it was yet another dark room. But, you know, that's when we get to directing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they, they didn't I, believe in lights in this episode, did they? It's Sheridan's office, especially, I mean, all over the place. But, I mean, it, was this supposed to be a not-at-all-subtle nod to the fact that Delenn is gone and Sheridan has to do some harsh things now or something? Like, or, they're so harsh that he's not even turning on the lights in, in his office? Or the, the unspoken parallel of, you know, we need power to run the station. We're going to have mm. to go borrow power from Epsilon 3 to run the voice of the Resistance. So let's, you know, emphasize emphasize that by having everybody in a brownout. Maybe. Or maybe Sheridan was just having a migraine, which would also uh-huh. explain his grumpiness. But he had to turn the lights out. That oh, there you go. Head cannon, a painful head cannon accepted. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, overall, I, I I thought the directing was pretty pretty fine. That was the one thing that I sort of noticed that that stood out to me was simply the lighting, um, how low 
Home alone is. I will have something else to say about the di- directing soon. Yeah, I, I, I'll hold my fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hashtag teaser. Um, <laughs> uh, well, speaking of Sheridan and his low light office, um, that is oh. where we. Oh, oh one second. Wanna... Well, before sure. we move on, um, can can I just praise JMS to the heavens for the insertion of uh, Duckamuck, the D- the Daffy Duck cartoon? Ah, uh, mm-hmm. B- because you know, not only is it a throwback to the fact that this is Garibaldi's favorite inter- form of entertainment, second um, favorite. Second favorite, um, but well, entertainment. I don't know what his favorite thing is if it's entertainment or not, but um, but also you know, deliberately choosing that particular cartoon of um, you know Daffy mm-hmm. basically dealing with all of this stuff going on around him, and he has no idea who is doing this to him. That was a pretty clever thing on JMS's part, I think. Mm-hmm. Very true. And also kind of meta, too, because, you know, Garibaldi himself, in actuality, is a character. And, you know, it's JMS is sort of playing the part of Bugs Bunny in this Mm -hmm. this scenario in a way. It's kind of funny. What did Steven think about that little insert? Oh, he was fine with it. He he remembered the, uh, I think he remembered the, the second favorite thing in the universe part. So he... He felt like the, the the use of the Warner Brothers cartoon was sort of a character continuity bit. Um, he didn't comment on the the sort of metatextual nature and possibilities of it, though. Well, then, uh, if there's nothing else with with the Garibaldi side of things, um, let's let's turn to Sheridan and and the other thing that he has his uh, has his mind on in this episode, besides Garibaldi and his gun, is uh, his crazy wacky idea that he brings up to Londo and and Jakar, having them both in the same room again. That was just uh, just the physical acting of both of those those actors was was wonderful. Seeing How them put long together. had it been since we'd seen them? That's what I wrote down too. It's like it felt like they, yeah, for them to suddenly, you know, reappear. It's just like, wow, wait, I'm gonna have to count episodes because I think it's been like four or five, six since we've seen them. Oh yeah, I, I mean, miss those guys, but they haven't had anything to do because the stories have all been about Earth. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yes, they've very much sort of taken a back seat. So it was, it was a little bit like. A refreshing drink of water after after a, you know a desert. Just seeing these two characters again, like oh yeah, so good. And it wasn't a lot. It was a very small short scene. Uh, but I found it interesting because, as as I said in the the little opening bit, they agree on something. And what they agree on is that Sheridan is bonkers. So that was <laughs> that's a little <laughs> then something. Then it's left what like which is completely open ended uh, as to as to whether or not they. As to whether or not they agree, which I do, you guys think that was a bold move or a, a little bit of a cheat? Um, I don't know. It's it's interesting because they're both. It's not just that they think it's a crazy idea, but they think it's a little threatening. I mean, he's talking about mm-hmm. putting his warships, warships under his and Delin's shared command, on their borders and on other governments' borders. And, you know, he's saying, we'll only go where we're allowed and we'll only, you know, protect the frontier. We're not going to get involved. And both the Narn and the Centauri have pulled that one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's we've seen in this show just just how easy that line is to cross without even realizing it. 
best intentions and all that, it is still a, a, a risky move. And as uh, Jakari and Londo both point out, it you know very easily can be seen as a threatening move. Yeah, I, th- that's another thing where the, the direction sort of plays into it. Am I, su- am I supposed to think this is a good idea and we want those two characters to agree to it? Or is this really dark office? Am I supposed to be seeing this as a sinister and threatening move as, as a viewer? I, I honestly d- didn't know which way to read this one. Um, so, so, I mean, if, if we are supposed to be Team Sheridan on this, I feel like the direction choice there was a bit of a misstep. Um, but as it is, it actually plays out as kind of a, an interestingly you know, multifaceted <laughs> bit of television making there. So hmm. I, I guess I just end that one with a shrug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it is supposed to be a bit ambiguous. I mean, yeah, we've had the Garibaldi's narrative running in the last several episodes of the idea of Sheridan, you know, setting himself up uh, in this cult of personality. We've had that, you know, arguably supported with Stephen's uh, speech on Mars. Um, So it kind of flows with a narrative that seems to be set up. um, And we're just going to have to see what happens now that, you know, if if Delenn is supposed to be the balancing act to what Sheridan's doing, you know, we don't, you know, we assume he has talked about this with her. We don't know, but um, the fact that she's not there and then he starts thinking in these terms, I I think at the very least it's supposed to make us uneasy. You need to be dangerous, she says. Yeah, and that does does sound dangerous. So, hmm. moving on to our other uh, sort of main-ish plotline, less main, uh, that would be Ivanova and her... Her, her quest to, to get her TV show on the air. Um, I think it was a, a needed bit of lightness in mm-hmm. this in this episode. So I was I was fine with the fact that it was a little bit silly. Um, however, my spouse next to me on the couch uh, was not. He was he was fine with the with the Dr. Franklin stuff, the, the back and forth. Like that was a charming scene. That was fine. Mm-hmm. And but, then we get to Epsilon 3. Then we get to Epsilon 3. <laughs> Actually, no, it was before that. It was before that. It was in the opening credits as we were sitting there and watching the, the names of the guest actors popping up on the screen. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yes, and you as see. Zathras. Yes, as Zathras. And Steven just said, ah, oh, fudge. He didn't say fudge. <laughs> Not that guy. Oh, no. But, it was but, like but, he but. deflated. <laughs> just deflated so after the episode was done uh, i mean he was physically cringing pretty much during the entire zathra scene and then when the episode was over and i was asking him how he liked it he he said his a few things first and then he stopped for a second he said why was zathras there you know how annoyed i am by him he was there for one excruciating scene and then he wasn't now do we have to put up with nine other zathrases he was just so meek by the end he was very sad so about that This is a little bit of indulgence because, Stephen aside, Zathras is a fan favorite character. Yep. And on top of that, a year or two before, JMS makes a joke online about one of these days he ought to introduce Zathras's brother Mathras or something like that, have him say that Zathras was the quiet one in the family just to see the look of horror on the other characters' faces. (laughs) And damned if he didn't decide 
he was going to do that. Maybe he had time to fill in the script. I don't know. But this was the this was the Babylon Five, not ready for primetime players uh, repertory group vaudeville act. Basically, mm-hmm. it, it it was done in one shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The actors clearly had fun doing it. It was panto. Was it panto? Can we call it panto? I think we can. I mean, it, being American, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure that I'm ever right when I say something is panto, but I I feel like it did have sort of that pantomime kind of. It was sketch comedy. Yeah. Can we call it that? It was. Yeah. It just it, to me, Ivanova felt very un Ivanova. Her reactions were so ott like just very very over the top and so long although you know what i gotta admit i kind of like this zathras better (laughs) for for a little while at least he actually explains something in a way that you can understand it he's not super duper cryptic he he just flat out explains oh you know he's not the one that wound up traveling in time yep so Anyway, but then but then it did go on and on. So by the end of it, I wasn't on board anymore. If it would have been shorter, I would have been like, hey, this is this is currently my favorite Zathras um, until we meet all the other eight of them or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was amusing. Mm-hmm. And I think I liked the theory of it uh, this time around watching it. I remember being highly amused by, by it back in the day. Mm-hmm. But it's been about 20 years. <laughs> And Zathras is not the character find sensation of the 1990s anymore. So mm-hmm. while I don't hate him the way that Steven does, uh, this this little bit of song and dance just didn't do it for me. Yeah. That and that would that was going to be my uh, observation about directing is that mm-hmm. it was you know yes. we're going to have. Uh, three and a half minutes or four minutes or whatever of locking down the camera and uh, just single take wackiness. And mm-hmm. I admire the instinct to try to do it all in one take. I think it would have been better if they hadn't done that. It becomes actor's theater. Yep. Shannon, what else were you going to say about uh, about direction? Or was this the same thing? No, that was not this. Um, what really annoyed me a couple of times in the, I'm assuming it would have been a directorial choice, going back to the idea of this being a um, private investigator crime uh, of the week episode instead mm-hmm. of a Babylon 5 episode, the outers going toward commercial were, to me, several times overly dramatic and at least one time there was a music stinger that just grated on my nerves. Um, so that between that and, and the darkness, darkness everywhere, um, that so, those, those things were things that annoyed me about this episode, about as far as directing goes. Very 1990s gritty cop drama. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And St- Stephen was just like, nobody reputable is named Wade. <laughs> Apologies to any <laughs> listeners who might actually be named Wade. Sorry. And whereas I was just like, I think he's a Peter Capaldi hair wannabe. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, he appeared on the, st- the screen and Steven just goes, nefarious gangster alert. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, he's uh, he's been uh, very well, very well pegged as, as somebody to not be trusted. So. Yeah. And his, his opening scene, uh, the, the actor's 
play on in that first scene really bothered me. The not not only was it, you know, sort of exposition heavy of, you know, trying to place for those of us who don't remember that they've propositioned Garibaldi before, and just also the attempt at being, you know, ruthless and callous and, you know, he's expendable and, you know, mm-hmm. if we have to, we'll kill him. He's imminently you know, th- expendable. <laughs> yeah, that that really grated on me. I think in the guy's later scenes, he it worked better when he was actually like interacting with people instead of te- instead of telling his goonies what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, the, that actor's performance, I thought, was uneven. I think that comes back to sort of the same thing we were saying about Lise is that when you're acting against a brick wall or a random heavy extra, it's it's probably a lot harder than when you're acting against somebody like Jerry Doyle who can can help carry a scene. Probably, mm-hmm. probably a little different there. Um, the last couple things that Steven said about this one, I mean, when it was over and I said, so, you know, what'd you think of this one? Uh, and he said, he said very cheerfully, but he said, it was okay, I guess. So, mm-hmm. so he thought it was fine. He liked it. It was just, he just felt not Babylon 5 and more private detective show. Uh, and then, and then later he, he said, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what this guy Edgar's is. I don't trust him. But I mean, Stephen always says, I don't trust him or her. Whenever we get a new character of any sort, he just has no trust. And, and then, we don't even get their face this time. So, you know, that's true. <laughs> there, there's mm-hmm. reasons. <laughs> he thought that felt very Charlie's Angels. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I guess that fits in with the, you know, the 70s style cop show, uh, faceless voice. But but yeah, and then I think it was, gosh, I don't even know how much later. It was well after we had stopped watching the episode. But he just kind of turned to me and goes, I wonder if the telepath is ever coming back. <laughs> oh, Stephen. <laughs> well, they and were talking about telepath stuff, so I think it's a fairly high percentage shot. That's That's true true so at least you know she's sort of getting you know thematic recognition even if she's not on screen he's complaining about lita when jakar and londo might as well have been put on the sides of milk cartons i'm just saying (laughs) yeah that's true well you know he has these things he focuses on and i'm i'm actually that's not true i totally am gonna judge i was just gonna say i'm not gonna (laughs) judge but yes yes i am Will you guys have anything else before we we turn towards spoiler space for this one? You know, it's it's a routine episode in a lot of ways, and we didn't get a lot of those the first part of the season. Uh, so, um, you know, things are a little slower, a little more paced out, and I think that that's okay. And it's worth it, I think, in the long run to get a good new Garibaldi episode. Because we've had mm-hmm. little flashes of him sitting at the table, uh, but we haven't really gotten to know what Garibaldi is like and how he's feeling these days and how he does his day-to-day thing anymore. Um, this is all about what happens when Garibaldi is no longer a security chief and is in a tight spot. And it's stuff that we never saw him do before. I, th- I do think that that's worthwhile. Yep. I agree. And that was another thing Steven said. He said, I like the Garibaldi episodes. So he just, he really likes Garibaldi as a character. So I think he enjoyed that. Definitely. Shannon, any last thoughts before we move on? Um, nothing that I can say right now. (laughs) Ooh, I like the sound of that. All right. Well, everybody, your homework for next time, as we alluded to earlier, is Rumors, Bargains, and Lies, the slightly spicier but still sort of generic title that Shannon will uh, 
will take us through next time. <laughs> um, until then, do come and chat with us on our website at b5audioguide.com. You can blab about spoilers to your heart's content on our spoilery threads, and you can help the newbies along in the spoiler-free ones. You can also find us on social media. We are at b5audioguide on Twitter and Tumblr. And now, kindly smuggle yourself onto the next departing transport, because we are about to launch our voices through a jump gate right into spoiler space. Help, help, I'm being encased in an acrylic cube. <laughs> that was a cool prop. I I actually like that's that's the kind of stealth geek paperweight type of thing that I would be perfectly happy to have on my desk at work <laughs> or something. Nobody would get it. Nobody. Actually, before this episode, I probably wouldn't even have gotten it. But now that I am reminded of what is coming with that tiny, teeny little file, uh, I feel like that would be a very cool and somewhat sinister paperweight. Don't mm, you think? Yeah. There is so much more to this episode that is not part of this episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't care for the episode it's, itself so much as I liked seeing the pieces that were being placed mm-hmm. uh, ready, for, ready for the next move. And the first one that leapt out to me was Sheridan uh, starting to mask the put the White Star fleet on the borders, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. I think he's got the Interstellar Alliance mapped out in his head right now. Exactly. I had the Mm -hmm. exact same thing written down in my notes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He's... He's a tactician. I mean, when it comes down to it, he's he's got that military mind and he knows how to plan a battle. And, you know, we've talked before about how being a soldier is not the same thing as being a, you know, a, a president and he doesn't always make the right moves. But when it comes to sort of the, the sketching out of a battle plan, I I feel like this is sort of the first the first skirmish yeah. that he's working and, on. And Londo and Jakar are right to be a little wary because that is exactly what he's doing. He's mm-hmm. not going to he's not going to use the White Star fleet to uh knock over knock over other governments or anything like that, but he is using military force to create a alliance that he is going to be the head of. He is exactly. kind of he is being kind of Machiavellian here. He's not as bad as our brain altered Garibaldi thinks he is, but he is a little dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really like uh it was occurred to me as watching this episode how we've this shift first from other people's point of view and now through action seeing Sheridan go in this direction and then I could not help but thinking a few steps ahead when things get turned on their ear and Sheridan becomes victim and has to be rescued uh just the ebb and flow of where his character is standing uh throughout this entire season um is a lot more fascinating than I remember from previous rewatches yeah, that's true. Because, you know, the, the the first time I watched through this, I think I just I really just bought into the Sheridan as the great big hero and was on his side 100% no matter what he was doing, just because I had bought in so much. And upon rewatches have sort of reassessed and, and paid more attention. And this time, I think I'm really seeing more of the, the grays than than the blacks and the whites that I had been noticing before. And and yeah, it's it's almost as if he's he starts making these these decisions that are 
I mean, you know, not... I don't know quite what the right political term would be, but he is sort of trying to amass power for for the powers of good. But, you know, it, one man's good is not necessarily what somebody else's is. And mm-hmm. and yet and then yet you're right, Shannon, he becomes the victim further on. And it's I don't know if it was purposefully a narrative trick to sort of keep us on his side to be like, oh, you know, everybody, you, you know, keep him in your heart because because he's the guy that that you love and now he's in 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 danger or if it just that was just a you know nice dramatic side effect i'm not sure but either way it it definitely keeps my thoughts sort of on his side of the field a little bit more than they would be if he hadn't been whisked away in that manner Mm -hmm. um what else do we have that uh that is coming down the road well we certainly have william edgars who whose face we will see eventually Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The voice of Alfred the Butler. Is it? <laughs> Batman the Animated Series. Oh, okay. Right around yeah. this time, I was I, I would have been perking my ears up and going, wait, he sounds familiar. You know, the minute they hand the vial out and, and give the spiel of, of what it is, and I'm immediately remembering, you know, that that's, that's not what's in there. That's... That, that, that's, that's designed to kill the telepaths. That's not what's not... in there. And we... And now, with the benefit of hindsight, we know exactly who those two telepaths were and who they were working for. Mm-hmm. Can these, you remind me? Because I don't remember. For I sure. think that these are Bester's guys. Ah, yeah, yeah. Because that does make sense. Because Edgar's goal is to wipe out the telepaths, and we will find out that Bester captured Garibaldi in part. To have him available in case, uh, in, in case there was a threat to the telepaths that he could use uh, Garibaldi to uh, put a stop to, and you know this is mm-hmm. works this out is pretty nicely. Starts. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Convenient. So, so, so many, so many dominoes get pushed over in this episode. It's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really fascinating. And Lise. Mm-hmm. Lise shows up, and then it's not just a one-off. We're going to be seeing her a few more times, and then Edgar's is going to get killed, and then she's going to get rescued, and then things get really interesting between her and Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Yep. Down the road. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to look forward to. It seems like every episode that we get to, it sort of jogs my memory and reminds me of something else that I had, had forgotten. So it's it's a it's a it's a richer tapestry even than I sometimes give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have the mention of we have another uh, link with the the Drock, uh, the fact that the Centauri have heard of them, and uh, apparently mm-hmm. they've been around for you know centuries, millennia, long enough to become just boogeyman legends um, in Centauri culture. And well, the Centauri are one of the first races that they're going to take over. Um, yeah. Have already started taking over mm-hmm. since since our friend Pastels already has one on his neck. Yeah, has a keeper, um, but we still don't know yeah. that the that we that, that, that yeah, the, there's no direct connection to them yet. That's true. Yeah, but I still don't think that we're going to see them again. I, that may even be their last the last reference to them during until this Crusade? season until 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 fifth season. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because most of season four the most of the rest of season four is uh you know freeing earth and um and i get and also the telepath um garibaldi's story uh dealing with eggers those two things 
are the big things that I can mm-hmm. think of. Yeah. So many, so many, so many plot threads sort of, you know, cast out here that we are, you know, that, that, that you can't just reel them all in, in the space of the, the end of one season, uh, mm-hmm. which, which is a good thing because it means that there's something left for it for season five, regardless of how you feel about season five. Right. There are, there are things that happen and things that, that uh, can be wrapped up in mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. Anything something else? That, else mm-hmm. Something else that I guess could have maybe have been mentioned pre-spoiler, but the, the shade of, again, with the telepaths of to the future, because uh, we had um, back in a race through dark places, uh, one of the other telepaths telling Talia that she was the future. Um, and of course, look, look what happened there. Um, so this sinister idea of that, of lending credence to the idea that telepaths are going to eventually take over and become a ruling class uh, of some sort. It's well seated um, throughout the show. Very much so. And uh, when Wade... Um, and Edgar's explain their evil plot to Garibaldi. Never do that. It ends badly for you when you explain <laughs> the evil plot. Um, Wade goes through the whole homo sapiens versus homo superior, taking the taking the phrase from uh, Marvel Comics mutants. Uh, but anyway, laying it on the line that the, the fight to create the anti-telepath virus is to try to protect humans from... Um, those who would be their masters and it doesn't it it, it ends it ends poorly for everybody because uh bester in fact does want to be their masters thank you very much <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> all right any other uh future looking forward type things that you've got before we fly on out of here first time that jakar and uh londo agree on something yep there will be more <laughs> there will be more there, there will be more Yes, it, it, it's not going to be uh, it's not going to be too many episodes from now before they finally have a drink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so looking forward to seeing more of them together on screen. Like I said, I I didn't realize how much I missed it until I saw them again. Yeah, and it, it and they didn't rush it. They didn't. Uh, you know, we we did have the moment right after the Shadow War when uh, Jakar and Lando face each other, and Jakar says, "You know, as far as I'm concerned, you don't exist anymore." So they weren't exactly warm and fuzzy with each other uh, this time around, but it was still it's still good. Mm-hmm. Which and and I think that's good because yeah, you're right. They didn't rush it. Had they had they softened too much by this point, I I don't think we would have bought it. So yeah, but you know, again, we're we're about half a season away from uh, them sharing a drink while uh, Jakar <laughs> perves on uh, Sheridan Delin with his detachable eye. So. Oh, that's right. <laughs> oh boy! Thank you guys for this. As always, this was delightful, and thank everybody for listening. It really means a lot to us to have you along for the ride. And we, of course, look forward to having you with us next time when Shannon will help us sort out the rumors from the bargains and the lies. And until then, this is Erica and Edmonton, Shannon and Durham, and Chip and Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5.